Hey, it's great to be with you this holiday weekend. My name is Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Uh, some refer to me as JC. If you ever wonder who Pastor Dan and uh, Aiden are talking about, that's that's me. Um, this morning we are continuing our series, uh, the Fruit of the Spirit, and uh, this summer we're we're camping out in this passage in Galatians chapter five. It says, "But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace." patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Uh, before we get st uh, started today, though, I, I, I want to give you a gift. And so uh, I want you to put down your phone or your book or whatever um, you have in your hands. Just kind of lay your hands in your lap, uh, close your eyes, and, and take a deep breath. And I want you to think about one thing. Just uh, God is good. Think about God is good. Now, I realize that wasn't very long, but maybe that was the first time today, even this week, you've experienced a sense of peace. Hopefully you're in a place that was a little bit quiet and just you're able to just center in on, on that, that truth that God is good and experience some peace. And I say it's a sense of peace because <clears throat> what we'll learn today is that peace is much more than a, a small moment. It's much more than a temporary silent escape from the pressures and noises around us. Peace, very much like joy that Pastor Dan talked about last week, is something we all look for. We long for it. We wish we had it. But it can be hard to find. Now, I'm a picture person, so I like to visualize things. But here's a picture, I, I think, that sums up a, a lack of peace. Uh, kind of feel bad for this guy. Um, <laughs> it's actually a, a famous painting by uh, Edvard Munch called The Scream. And in fact, it has its own emoji. Um, it, <laughs> it's so famous that in 2012, and at auction, it sold for over $120 million. And what's so fascinating about this picture is that it's called, quote, a timeless depiction of anxiety. And it, it creeps a lot of people out. In fact, the artist was believed to, to be a very tormented person, uh, some, someone who lacked peace in his life. In fact, many believe he suffered from mental, mental illness. As I was looking into this painting and the background behind it, it's, it's interesting. At the top of this picture in the, in the sunset in the sky is scrawled these words, almost unseen, saying, can only have been painted by a madman. <laughs> Most assume it was the painter himself who wrote this inscription into the painting. Now, I believe one of the reasons that the picture is so famous and would sell for $120 million is it's kind of a mirror, a mirror for many of us. It's like, yes, <laughs> that's me. That's how I feel on the inside. That's how I feel right now. Most days, I just feel like screaming. 
I, I lack peace. And I think it represents what a lot of people are feeling today because our lives are so full of, of fear and worry and conflict. But Proverbs 12.25 tells us an, an anxious heart weighs a man down. Anxiety, fear, worry, conflict weigh us down and stand in the way of peace. And Jesus tells us it doesn't have to be that way. His disciples are troubled, but, but Jesus promises them the Holy Spirit will, will bear fruit in their lives. And one part of that fruit is peace. In John 14, uh, verse 27, Jesus is telling his disciples, his troubled disciples, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. This gift of peace Jesus offers is the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we'll keep coming back to this, but, but to do so, I, I want to look at a, a passage that's found in Isaiah chapter 26. Uh, so if you have your Bible, or your app, whatever it is, uh, turn to Isaiah chapter 26. It's here that the prophet Isaiah teaches us about personal internal peace. It's something we all need, it's, and it's all right here, particularly in verse 3. He says, You will keep in perfect peace whose minds are stayed or steadfast because they trust in you. But if, if this peace, as Jesus says, is different than what the world gives, what is this peace? I can tell you some ways we try to imitate peace. Uh, indifference uh, or apathy uh, to feel like to feel peace might to might be the walk around with like hey I don't care attitude but all that is a, a counterfeit peace you're only trying to fool yourself some of us look for peace by trying to escape if I can only get out of town I'll, I'll leave all this conflict and anxiety and all these problems behind it doesn't work your problems will chase you and so peace is not merely the absence of activity like we practiced earlier. Peace is more than the absence of hostility. I mean, you can find that in a cemetery, but that's not the peace most of us want. Peace is not just getting away from reality. So what is real peace? A couple of weeks ago, my wife Jennifer and I went down to Florida for a marriage conference and just a brief getaway to the beach. We love relaxing on a nice beach and just experiencing the waves. Uh, it was interesting because when we walked the beach, you could see evidence of some of the past hurricanes and, and the high surf and high tides that had eroded some of the dunes, had destroyed actually several houses, and they were rebuilding uh, steps and walkways. And it got me thinking about peace. You see, peace is not just the absence of conflict, noise, and hardship. Much, much like joy, peace is, is, is contentment in the midst of conflict, noise, and hardship. I, I thought how interesting it is that, that we come to the beach to relax and spend some peaceful days on the sand, and we're right on the edge uh, of the destructive, pulverizing violence and power of the ocean. Uh, when I was a kid, we were at the Outer Banks body surfing some pretty big waves that day, and my, my dad was uh, body slammed off a four to five foot wave, ended up breaking five ribs. There's power. 
Uh, so I, I looked it up. Scientists have studied the physics of a breaking wave and have found that a wave can apply a pressure of between 250 and 6,000 pounds of pressure per square foot, depending on its size. For example, a three-foot wave, three and a half feet wide, can apply a pressure over 1,100 11, pounds per square foot. Waves are powerful, destructive, as well as beautiful and peaceful. In fact, a lot of people go to sleep to artificial sounds of crashing waves. So even in the midst of the crushing and crashing power of waves, we can find peace. And yet when we talk about peace, we, we often only see it as a temporary escape. We don't have to look very far in our world to see the frantic search for some kind of inner peace. And people try all kinds of things to find peace, but these tricks, tips, and trinkets can only bring a temporary peace, if peace at all. God's peace is greater. God's peace is more enduring, more effective at combating the distractions and the messes of this world. Uh, Oswald Sanders describes it like this, Peace is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of God. If you're taking notes, make sure to write that down. Peace is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of God. This peace transcends culture. It transcends time and trouble. It's a promise of God stated here in Isaiah 26 and given to us through the Holy Spirit. It's a result of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And only as we stay connected to the vine, like John 15, we abide, we sit with, we pay attention to, we commit to, we surrender our lives to Jesus, will, be, will we be able to know and experience this kind of peace? See, the Bible says a lot about peace, and there's a couple words that it uses to talk about peace. In the Old Testament, the word for peace is one you may have heard of. It's shalom. Uh, it's, a, it's a state of wholeness. It's a state of well-being that's intended to resonate in and through all of our relationships. It's everything as it should be. Uh, when used as a greeting, shalom was to wish for outward freedom from disturbance as well as an inward sense of well-being. To experience shalom is to experience the deep, abiding peace, calm, and tranquility that God brings. Peace is the calm assurance that, that what God is doing is best. And, and to the people of Israel, to the people that Isaiah is writing to, people constantly harassed by enemies, peace was a desire. And the New Testament equivalent to the word is a word, uh, irene. It, it was often used in a political sense to describe a town or village that was well-run. Things operated efficiently. It was a well-oiled machine. People got along with each other. Opportunity prevailed. And so back to Isaiah, how do we find the peace, the shalom that God is offering his people in this passage? First of all, personal peace begins with God. Now that, <laughs> that shouldn't be real shocking. That shouldn't be surprising. Uh, personal peace, the, re the real source of an internal, personal lasting peace is grown with God. See, the, the problem is though, due to the devastating effects of sin, before we came to faith in Christ, you and I are considered to be at war with God because God is at war with sin. 
We may not feel like we're fighting against him, but we are when we continue to live in, in a rebellion against him. We, we reject his gift of life. That's why Romans 5, 8 is such a beautiful truth. When it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, why we were still sinners. In other words, why we were still God's enemy in rebellion against him, refusing to follow him. Christ died for us. That's the agape love that Pastor Dan talked about a couple weeks ago. That being said, if we want the personal peace of God, we first have to find peace with God. The Bible is very clear on this. We, we, we have to come to grips with the state of our relationship with God apart from Jesus Christ. And see, while God loves us and cherishes us as his creation, he's also repulsed by sin. Romans 1.18 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And that's terrible news that keeps us from experiencing God's peace. But as we read earlier, there is a good news. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified, since we've been declared righteous through faith, we have what? We have peace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, we can experience peace with God. Our, our lives are no longer identified by sin because we've been covered in the righteousness of Christ. And so when God rearranges our lives around his priority, that's part of the peace and security we have with God. In fact, Romans 8 one says, says it like this as a great reminder. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who have peace with God. I don't know about you, but that's a truth that gives me peace. So what does this personal and internal peace with God look like? I want to look at the first four verses of Isaiah 26. In that day, the song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God makes salvation its walls and ramparts. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter in, the nation that keeps faith. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. This, is a, this section is a song of praise, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But notice how Isaiah goes from the third person to the second person, back to the third person. In other words, he talks about God, he talks to God, and then he goes back and talks about God. <laughs> uh, there's a promise of peace in verse 4. It says, Trust in the Lord, the I am, forever. For the Lord himself is the rock eternal. He's saying that the source of this promise of peace that we're about to sing about is the Lord himself. In other words, personal peace has grown with God. Uh, this passage is so fascinating. When it says that the, the Lord is the rock eternal, the literal translation is, he's the rock of ages. We can trust him because he is the rock of ages. Now, some of you may be familiar with the, the, the hymn by that title. It was, it was written, ironically, uh, 1776 by a hymn writer named Augustus Toplady. 
the story goes that, that he's walking down a path and this huge thunderstorm breaks out and lightning and he doesn't have shelter, but he finds this crevice in a rock by the side of the road, a little cave. And as he, as he hides himself there, as he shelters there, he starts to think about the shelter that God provides, the peace that God brings in the midst of life's storms. And so based on this verse, he composed the, the words to this famous hymn, Rock of Ages. Uh, listen to the last verse. It says, When I draw my final breath, when my eyes shall close in death, when I rise to worlds unknown and behold thee on thy throne, rock of ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. He's basically saying no matter what happens in life, even the very worst, my own physical death, God, Lord, my hope is in you. My trust is in you. I find peace in you. Knowing the Lord, the rock of ages, the rock eternal gave Isaiah peace in the midst of this terrible position of being taken, enslaved into captivity. Again, personal, personal peace is not the absence of something. It's the presence of someone. God's definition of peace is the presence of God himself. No matter what conflict is going on, God says, oh, I'm there. I'm present. So personal peace is found in God, but personal peace is developed with an eternal perspective. Now, because it was just Jennifer and I at the beach, I actually got to read a book, uh, got through the whole thing. It was, it was a true story of a young boy who was a refugee from Iran. Uh, it was a very unique book, but the, what intrigued me most was the title, Everything Sad is Untrue. You see, this little boy's mother was a Shiite Muslim who, who says yes to Jesus, and, and she's threatened with possible execution. She has to flee the country, and so everything this little boy Daniel knew, everything that brought him comfort, everything that brought him joy was now gone. They lived comfortably. Now they find themselves in, in refugee camps where they're unwanted. They end up in Oklahoma on the bad side of town and with a, a drug-dealing alcoholic father who refused to leave Iran, an abusive stepfather, a classroom of kids who, who don't understand him, who treat him poorly. His life is chaotic. It's difficult. It's lonely. Life has, has, has become completely wonky and whopper-jawed for Daniel. But his stories, his memories, and his hope keep him going. At one point, finding peace in this quote from The Lord of the Rings, where the story, where the, <clears throat> where in the story evil has been defeated, Sam Gamgee asks, Is everything sad going to come untrue? It's a great picture of what it means to have an eternal perspective. This kind of bigger, longer, hopeful view of the future is a source of peace. I love what Pastor Tim Keller wrote about this perspective when he said, Christian peace comes not, not from thinking less, but from thinking more and more intensely about the big issues of life. Paul gives a specific example of this in Romans 8.18, Speaking directly to sufferers, he says, I reckon that our, our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that shall be revealed in us. 
He says to reckon is to count up accurately, not to whistle in the dark. It's not to get peace by jogging or shopping. It means think it out. Think about the glory coming until the joy begins to break in on you. Either Jesus is on the throne ruling all things for you, or this is as good as it gets. See what Paul's doing? He's saying that if you are a Christian today and you have little or no peace, it may be because you're not thinking. Peace comes from a disciplined thinking out of the implications of what you believe. Think big and high. Realize who God is, what he has done, who you are in Christ, where history is going. Put your troubles in perspective. I love that. I believe this is what Isaiah is doing in this song. You see, the context of Isaiah 26 is that Isaiah is looking at his people in captivity and he's seeing beyond their current situation to a future hope. Now, I don't have time to get into this, uh, but I think it's important. Chapters 25, 26 are a song of praise. They're, They're songs that will be sung when Jesus comes back to rule and to reign in his kingdom. And all the promises that God has made to his people will be fulfilled. It will be a thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ, an age of peace. And so as you look again at verse 1, you read, In that day, this song will be sung. He's speaking of a future event where everything sad will be untrue. In that day, Jesus is going to bring absolute peace to the world. One day, the the inner peace we experience through faith will be unleashed. Peace will will flavor every inch and minute of eternity. It will reign unchallenged and unhibited. No more tears, no more pain. Every fear and, and anxiety that threatens our peace now will be exposed and removed, erased, and every sad thing will come untrue. When we have an eternal perspective, we know that whatever we face in this life will not last forever. Here's a third truth about personal peace. Personal peace has grown as we walk in the Spirit. Verse 2 says, Open the gates, referring to the gates of the city of the kingdom, that, that the righteous nation may enter in, the nation that keeps faith. What kind of nation is it? it? The righteous nation that keeps faith. These are people who keep the faith, who live by the truth. They're faithful. I might say, in today's words, they're they're faithful to live in the good news of Jesus every day. You see, there's a relationship between living in the gospel, the good news, and living in peace. Paul alludes to this before, referring to the fruit of the Spirit. When we read in Galatians 5.16, he says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you're not to do whatever you want. In other words, there's a conflict between how I want to live life and how the gospel lived out through the Holy Spirit wants to direct my life. If I'm living in the new life I have in Christ, I will experience personal peace. But if I'm living contrary to that, There is no peace. Here's what I mean by all that. If you wonder, man, I I never have peace. (laughs) I'm I'm sort of like that picture of the scream. The question is, could, could it be, could that be because you've been tripping a lot in sin? 
You're letting sin control your life, letting it direct your life. Sin will rob you of peace faster than anything else. If you're not moving out the old things, the, the stubborn habits, the vices, the ungodly attitudes, and replacing them with the truth, values, and priorities of the Holy Spirit, you're not, you're not going to experience the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You're not going to experience the peace of God personally and internally. Isaiah makes this correlation in other passages like Isaiah 48:22, when the Lord says, There's no peace for the wicked. Those who continue the fight against God, ignore his truth, deny his promises, choosing to follow the path of their own desires, aren't going to find peace. But those who keep in step with the Spirit will find God's peace. See, he develops, he grows it in us. He said, when we get tripped up in sin, we don't lose our relationship with God, but it hinders our fellowship with him. Because it creates so much guilt and shame and distance, distraction from our relationship with God. It grieves the spirit. It robs us of peace. That's why confession of sin is so important. You may wonder, why? well, why do I have to tell God I've sinned? I mean, doesn't, doesn't he already know? Yeah, he already knows, but he wants to hear you. He likes when we recognize our sin, we admit it, we bring it back to him, we confess it and agree with him, and then turn back to him. I mean, we all know there's a difference between, uh, man, I, I feel sorry, and going to that person and apologizing to them face to face. Confession helps restore personal peace. We have a vivid picture of this in the life of David. He, he committed adultery and murder, and he kept it all bottled inside. He kept it hidden and secret. At least he thought so. In Psalm 32, it says, When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, God, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My, my strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sin to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there's still time, that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. He was restored to peace when he admitted his sin to the Lord. And see, when we confess our sin to the Lord, we release it. We, we, we feel unburdened. Uh, I think it's kind of funny. Someone has said confession is like brushing your teeth in the morning. <laughs> I, I like that. I mean, you know, you know what it's like in the morning. You, you have that thick, pasty feeling in your mouth. And then you brush your teeth with some kind of minty, fresh toothpaste. And man, it feels good. And your mouth says, thank you. You know, five out of five dentists recommend it. <laughs> well, that's what confession feels like for the soul. To experience peace, you need to experience confession. To weed the garden, to water the garden, remain in the vine. To weed the garden, as someone has said, be killing sin or it be killing you. <laughs> to water the garden, to fill your thoughts with God's truth. Invest in, in good relationships. Remain in the vine. Keep in step with the Spirit, surrendering, yielding your life to Him each day. Reminding yourself of the gospel. The fruit of the Spirit is something God does. Let Him direct your thoughts. 
Paul says, Paul writes, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Fourth thing, personal peace focuses our thoughts on Jesus. Romans 8, 6, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Experiencing peace is related to your thought life, your focus, what you think about. Going back to Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. It's so interesting. Why, why aren't we just kept in peace? Why are we kept in perfect peace? What, what is perfect peace? Again, in Hebrew, the, the original language in which this was written, the word for perfect is this exact same word for peace. In fact, in Hebrew, it says, you will keep him in shalom, shalom, or peace, peace. And that's how it's written in the original language. You will keep him in peace, peace. It's the same word, it's just repeated. And it, as Dan says, you can forget this, but it, it's called the idiom of, reper, of reduplication. That is, whenever you take a word and you double it, you now intensify its meaning. So when it's peace, peace, it's, it's perfect peace, meaning it's, it's complete, it's genuine, it's deep, it's satisfying, it's lasting peace. It's a settled heart, a heart at rest. One pastor calls it uh, a peace without ripples. There's no undercurrent of anxiety. It's total well-being. It's personal, internal calm. Sounds great, doesn't it? <laughs> but how do we get it? Isaiah says, by focusing our thoughts, you will keep in peace, peace, perfect peace, those whose minds are steadfast. Some versions say stayed on you. That word steadfast or stayed means being at rest. It's when our thoughts are resting in God's truth. It's an idea of coming to a, a complete stop and resting in God's truth. As I was studying for this, this verse jumped out at me this week, as I feel it's just so relevant to our lives. They will have, I, Psalm, Psalm 112.7, they will have no fear of bad news. Have you ever had fear of bad news? You know, phone rings in the middle of the night, someone unexpectedly knocks at your door, you're waiting for a diagnosis. Yeah, I think, I think we've all been there. And these, these fears can rob us of peace. And so the psalmist says, they will have no fear of bad news. Instead, their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. They're, they're, they're resting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. You see, when we focus on God's love, his power, his ability, his care, his plan, his promises, his intentions for us, we experience peace. And yet, we're a distracted people. We're surrounded by noise all the time. Images are, are constantly thrown in front of us. Bad news seems like it's always just around the corner. All these distractions threaten to steal our peace. But neuroscientists um, tell us that the human mind in one day has about 70,000 thoughts. 70,000 thoughts. I mean, what do we think about all day? About 70,000 thoughts. That's 25.5 million thoughts a year. 
However many thoughts we have during the day, we need to learn to harness those thoughts. Determine which ones are true and, and, and hold on to those. Discern which are foolish, which are lies, which are, are rotten, and move those out, bringing every thought into captivity and making it obedient to Christ. That means you have a thought and it starts to take you in a certain direction. You grab it, you restrain it, you bring it to Jesus to say, Here, Lord, take this. Let me focus on things that are true and right and noble and beautiful and pure and excellent and praiseworthy. Lord, help me to focus on your love, your power, your care, your ability, your faithfulness. You see, personal peace is often directed by where we let our thoughts lead us. So many of us are, are walking civil wars where, where our own conflicts and worries are fighting and struggling against us. See, to have our minds stayed on Jesus means that we're looking for not only peace of mind, but for God to grow in us a mind of peace. Perfect peace is having a mind surrendered to the Holy Spirit, completely confident in God, focused on Jesus. And see, this point is so essential because healthy fruit comes from deep roots. You don't grow fruit by focusing on the fruit. Fruit happens when the roots are deep and the roots are healthy. And yet, we can approach spiritual growth like stapling dead roses to a dead rose bush. <laughs> if you walk by from a distance, you may, you may not, you may, wow, that looks healthy. But stapling roses on a dead rose bush doesn't fix the real problem. In the same way, you won't grow spiritually by, by trying to add love, trying to add joy, trying to add peace, and everything else in your life. It doesn't work. Because these are only produced by driving your roots deep into Jesus. And instead of looking at ourselves, we need to be looking to Jesus. We can't produce these things in our lives in the way that we, we need to without him. We need Jesus. And too often we try to fix our lives or we, we try to find a quick fix to our issues and we lose sight of Jesus. We lose sight of the gospel, Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and how these truths affect how we decide to respond to life and situations. But when we keep in step with the Spirit, weeding, watering, abiding, we'll look a lot less like the scream and a lot more like Jesus. The final thing is that personal peace is shaped by trust. And we see this in verse 4, Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. God has designed us to be dependent on him. Now, now, now I'm saying, I know I'm saying this to a lot of patriotic Americans on, on a week we celebrate independence. We love independence. We love our freedom, and we should. But this is different. You see, God has designed us to be dependent on him. The whole problem of sin was, was, is and was independence from God. Sin started when man said, I'm going to be independent of what God says. The difference is we can depend on him because he is trustworthy. Here's one of the most familiar verses on trusting God. In fact, it was a theme verse for Bible camp this past week. In fact, it was written on the steps on the way up to the second floor. I'm seeing it every, every day. 
Uh, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, many of you know it. Let's say it together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. When you trust a trustworthy God, the experience you walk away with is perfect peace. And so we have two choices. We either trust or we're troubled. (laughs) Either we trust God and say, God, you are in control. I, I don't understand everything that's going on, but I trust you. Or we can say, this life is nuts. This is crazy. Anything can happen. Everything's random and meaningless. It's a, it's a jungle out there. Every man for himself. That's the scream. It will lead to being troubled and anxious and fearful. And most people choose to scream, and that's why uh, some sources I, I read said that anywhere from 60 to 90% of illnesses are stress-related. So you can choose this path or let the Holy Spirit lead you into peace through trust. If we trust the Lord with all our hearts, not only will he direct our paths, he he begins to grow peace in us. And so if you want real life, if you want real peace, you want something deeper than just existence, trust in the Lord. Now, peace is such a common theme in God's word. There's so much more to say, but I just want to end with this thought. When we have peace with God, we can experience the peace of God. But I like what Pastor Aiden said a few weeks ago. An apple tree doesn't eat its own apples. It doesn't eat its own fruit. Neither should we. In other words, the the fruit of the Spirit isn't just for our own comfort and our own well-being. You see, we bear this fruit for the benefit of others and our relationships. This peace of God within us affects our relationships so that we can establish perfect peace with with the people around us. Seeking peace and, and living at peace with others is essential to our calling as ambassadors of reconciliation. We're we're to be representatives of God's peace and, and the peace that we can have with him. That's why Paul writes, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to build one another up. Our internal personal peace is the key to external peace. And the key to internal peace is to, to walk and step with the Spirit to find peace with God, trust God in his plan with with an eternal perspective, focus our thoughts on Jesus and move out the old to make way for the fruit of the Spirit. My prayer for you today is, is that you would weed the garden of your life and mind. Water those things that need nurture, replace the weeds with roses and remain in the vine, driving your roots deep as you keep in step with the Spirit. As we wrap up, I want to close with a prayer. Some of you will know, I, but I just thought it was so appropriate for today. So let's pray together. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, let me sow faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, let me sow light. And where there is sadness, joy. 
O Divine Master, grant that I, I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Father, may we know and live in your peace as we keep in step with the Spirit. We love you too, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's been great spending this time with you. Take care.